Welcome along everybody to the latest Sports Pro podcast. My name is David Cushman, the editor-in-chief of Sports Pro. With me as ever here at Sports Pro's global headquarters in the east of London is uh, magazine editor James Ennett. Uh, good afternoon slash evening, David. Yes, hello uh, to you, James. And uh, the subject of uh, this podcast is, uh, well, the last few weeks, really, in particular in Europe, this is commonly known in the sports industry as conference season. Uh, plenty of conferences of all shapes and sizes taking place uh, in, in various locations. And I guess things started in uh, October with uh, Leaders in Football, the annual uh, soccer business conference in London, uh, followed just a week later, as ever, by uh, the Sportel Monaco Convention uh, in Monte Carlo, unsurprisingly, uh, where the uh, broadcast industry, the sports broadcast industry, uh, meets uh, well for a, a sports industry market. And we uh, covered uh, uh, both of those uh, quite extensively. Um, James, you were like me in uh, Monaco for Sportel. Mm. Um, a lot of talk this year about um, uh, the Champions League, which obviously came to uh, greater prominence a few weeks uh, a few weeks after the conference finished. Uh, but even at Sportel, there was a lot of chat about the uh, latest uh, Champions League broadcast right cycle. Uh, that's right, David, yes. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to sit down at Sportel um, with Guy Lauren Epstein, who is the marketing director at UEFA and basically the man uh, in charge of commercialising most of their rights. Um, and he was telling me about the, the specifically about the next Champions League cycle. Uh, they're going to market now for the 2015 to 18 um, set of rights, um, both broadcast and sponsorship, and uh, amongst other things, uh, they're jigging things around, he was telling me that um, it's, it's nice for them to come straight on the back of uh, the Premier League's latest round of uh, international rights sales because um, they're the two biggest global soccer properties and um, it puts down a nice um, kind of marker for them, they know uh, what the markets uh, are doing coming you know, just a few months after the Premier League completed uh, that cycle and he told me that um, overall uh, they were looking for and had indeed uh, predicted uh, a 20% uh, uplift in, uh, across their revenues. The Champions League now I think is bringing in 1.3 billion euros um, and they're looking for a 20% uplift on that, 1.3 per year. And, and did he know, do we think, when you spoke to him at Sportel that uh, just a few weeks later UEFA would become the latest international sports rights holder to uh, be rejoicing at the presence of BT Sport in the, uh, the UK sports rights market? Because we, we all know what happened next. I think he did, David, because, I mean, I can tell you I remember it uh, very well. He had a glint in his eye uh, <laughs> when I asked him and he said, and I quote... I think we'd expect 20% growth, probably, um, although there are markets that are booming where I think we'll do far more, and uh, isn't that the truth in light of the BT deal? And indeed, just a week earlier at Leaders in Football, Gavin Patterson, uh, the new BT chief executive, promised uh, some ambitious uh, rights moves to come uh, from BT. Let's not forget that BT 
uh, Sport only launched in August and we all know they built their channels in the UK around um, quite in the end a, a small selection of uh, Premier League games, 38 Premier League games per season for three seasons. They, mm. they were clearly and, and uh, quite openly disappointed um, not to have secured uh, more uh, of the seven available packages. So yeah. they have 38 mm. games per season, Sky have 116. And the next move, when it came, uh, was a you know, it was a hammer blow. Yeah, it was a hammer blow. It was a hammer blow. It was a game changer. Whichever word you use, um, we're talking, of course, of uh, BT, who have taken uh, for a billion euros, just a tad over a billion euros, the exclusive UK rights to all European club. Uh, soccer, so uh, the Europa League, the secondary Europa League, which they have tournament, already, which they have already, and uh, critically, the uh, the Champions League, one of the uh, the sports properties uh, in the world, really at the moment, and uh, taking it at a stroke away from Sky, who have only broadcast the Champions League uh, since I think it's two thousand and eight. Uh, so it's a, a but reasonably that was a, that was a huge breakthrough for Sky when they were able to take that package in two thousand eight um, to have it wrenched from them. Um, so so soon afterwards uh, will not have gone down well. I would wager. No, no, absolutely not. And it will be absolutely fascinating to see what Sky does next. Uh, all sorts of implications uh, on, on this deal. Um, how does it affect the next round of uh, Premier League uh, domestic rights, uh, it, which will come up, I guess, in the next uh, 18 months to two years? They'll start to, uh, you know, we'll start to get a clearer picture of who's involved. You can imagine Sky will now, if they weren't going to go for those rights uh, in, in a big way uh, before, they certainly will now. Will BT make a real effort to almost kill Sky off if they, if they can. And the, there are wild cards in the pack, just as BT was the joker uh, in the last right cycle. What of Apple, Al Jazeera, mm. Google? There's, uh, there's some interesting times ahead, I think. And, and the Premier League, uh, as, uh, as you know, James, having uh, put together a, a forensic examination of their international rights sales in a recent edition of the magazine, mm. uh, the Premier League must be absolutely licking their lips that they've got this new... Uh, war between uh, a uh, an established their established partner uh, Sky Sports and, and now a challenger who appears to have both the uh, the money mm-hmm. and the ambition to uh, to genuinely take Sky on in a way that perhaps uh, Satanta and ESPN uh, weren't able to do. No, no one's really had uh, the readies uh, to do it properly before. And BT now clearly do having um, having swooped for these UEFA rights and there's no doubt that the Premier League will be rubbing their hands uh, at the prospect of those two lining up against each other next time. Obviously there's a lot of speculation that you could put forward about what Sky are going to do about this. You know, there is, I suppose, a possibility that they might even try and team up with uh, another potential new broadcaster. I mean, there's, a, there's been talk for years about Al Jazeera trying to, or be in sport as it is now, trying to come in and crack uh, the domestic UK market, but obviously all of that uh, remains to be seen. Uh, Premier League rights are going to market, I believe, in two years' time. Um, so we will see. Although staying with BT, um, obviously a, a, a statement of serious intent, and um, 
I believe uh, in this autumn winter season of uh, conferences, Dave, you went up to United City where uh, Mark Watson was speaking, laying out the, the BT strategy. Yes, he was speaking at uh, Old Trafford, one of two venues for United City, the other being uh, Manchester's other uh, soccer stadium, the Etihad, and uh, he was quite interesting. It was uh, it was an extended sales pitch for BT, really, his, his presentation, but um, uh, Mark Watson, and if, if people haven't heard him uh, speak before, he's a very slick, uh, uh, smooth operator, um, clearly knows what he's doing. He's, he's steeped in the, uh, in the battle for rights. He knows, he knows what he's talking about when he's uh, putting these uh, rights proposals and, right, and bids together. Um, and he was very interesting in that he, <laughs> he ruled absolutely nothing uh, in or out. And that was a phrase he used on more than one occasion, and that is everything from uh, taking uh, sports that are perhaps seen in the UK as, as uh, maybe second-tier sports or might be termed as emerging sports and giving them a, a platform with BT. Or at the other end of the scale, he was uh, half-joking, I think, when he, uh, he said that he'd be happy to uh, take a coffee with uh, FIFA um, uh, to uh, perhaps discuss one day the possibility of, of BT uh, taking some kind of uh, more active role in the broadcasting of the World Cup. That's mm. all very much some way off, and, mm. and there's a lot of bluster around that. But he's got a, he's got quite a nice way about him, where he uh, he tries to um, uh, to be very guarded against uh, creating a new set of uh, newspaper headlines about uh, BT and their ambition, mm. um, whilst also revealing just enough to keep things uh, very interesting for the likes of uh, likes of you and I. Mm. Um, I, just on just on Mark Watson, sorry, Dave. I always think it's quite amusing when when he speaks, um, not the way he speaks at all. But um, it, he always stresses, it, as you say, he is guarded, and he always stresses um, when he's asked, "Oh, what's next, Mark? You know, what what rights are you going to go for next?" And he will always say, "I won't rule anything out, but I obviously cannot reveal." Uh, and he stresses the importance of secrecy in mm. the way BT Sport are going about these rights acquisitions. And, and that was from the very first moment that they entered the market with the Premier League, which, you know, that stealth really played... And it was uh, a huge surprise. Them. It's a huge surprise. And um, probably, again, it's worked for them with the Champions League. Um, this, I mean, Sky must have known that they were going to be in the market for them. But the fact that they went so high with their bid, I mean, it's, it's 125% uplift on the, on the last cycle. Um, Sky and ITV paid four hundred million pounds um, between them for the rights for the last uh, the last cycle. BT, of course, paying eight hundred ninety-seven. This time, they went in with that bid of eight, a reported eight hundred ninety-seven, um, which absolutely blew Sky out of the water. Who they they are rumoured to have uh, put in a bid in the five hundred millions. Um, or, BT almost went double. Um, and, and that closed out the bidding in the first round, which, uh, which upset Sky and ITV, who, who wanted to push it into a second round. Absolutely, and, and two things to point out. Sky insists that at the, uh, the value BT have given them, the Champions League rights are overvalued. Mm -hmm. uh, what is also interesting in the surprise factor is BT don't really have that surprise factor anymore. They've, they've sort of exhausted their their surprise options going forward. Everybody will be expecting now a huge bid. So it'll be absolutely fascinating to see how BT's sort of internal strategic plan for gaining these, these big marquee rights changes and, and mm. evolves over time. It's interesting that they're, they're also stacking up a great deal of content uh, 
outside the uh, the sort of uh, subscription driving yeah. uh, football. Well, the, the NBA rights, obviously, which they've done, I mean, taking it off Sky again, um, 200 games a year, is it? It's, uh, it's Up to seven a week, 200 up, uh, games a year. Up to seven yeah. a week. I think it'd be interesting to drill down into, into those other deals uh, and see exactly what their financial strategy with that is in terms of, I mean, all these rights holders will be licking their lips at the prospect of a strong player on the market like BT, but they can't make them pay the money that, uh, that football can, that soccer can. Um, so yes, the NBA deal obviously signed, uh, well, we're talking on the 29th of November, it signed, uh, announced yesterday on the 28th. Uh, so certainly one to, a huge deal for the NBA and for BT alike in that um, BT, obviously lots of games, uh, but BT have uh, committed to streaming at least one live per week, uh, which is huge for the NBA trying to break in. Live and free per week. Like, yeah. Sorry, free. Uh, seven, seven live per week, one free, um, which is huge for the NBA. Um, one last note on, on BT. There's obviously been a lot of talk about uh, BT versus Sky and both sides I think a keen publicly to slightly play that down a little bit, although it's not going to stop uh, the, the speculation whenever a, a set of rights comes up. I think what's also interesting to note is that uh, BT, in taking some of these rights, have, uh, have also really, really weakened um, terrestrial free-to-air broadcasters, the BBC mm. and ITV. Uh, they've taken uh, MotoGP exclusively from next year, which was a set of rights, the BBC's only live motorsport apart from uh, Formula One. Um, they've taken, obviously, the Champions League away from ITV, certainly the live rights, although ITV picked up a, a sort of consolation ha- uh, highlights package. Mm. So that's an area to watch as well. They won't just be targeting sports that are on uh, Sky Sports. They'll be looking at yeah. uh, the free-to-air sports, and there are some some big events and some well, traditionally be... uh, some events traditionally broadcast free-to-air that will probably be eyeing up uh, BT's riches. Well, there'll there'll no doubt be uh, big pressure on uh, the UK government to maintain or indeed strengthen the uh, the crown jewels list, uh, the sporting events that are required by law to uh, be on terrestrial TV no doubt, coming up in 2014. Uh, so conference season, certainly in the UK, was uh, rather dominated and overshadowed by BT's uh, various uh, adventures in the sports rights market. Mm. Uh, where else did we uh, go over the last well, you, few weeks? You, David, you went to Lausanne, did you not? I did, to the <laughs> Olympic capital, um, and that's going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch over the next uh, couple of years. Lausanne, for the first time, uh, obviously it's the administrative uh, centre uh, for the International Olympic Committee. Uh, it's where their uh, base is, it's where a lot of the key meetings are staged. And for the first time, the city of Lausanne is uh, making a bid to host uh, an Olympic competition, mm. uh, the Winter Youth Olympic Games. Um, it's uh, for 2022, I believe. 2020, or is it 2020? And uh, it will be fascinating to see how that affects the relationship between a city that very much uh, publicises, and it was my first visit to Lausanne, but it was a city that very much publicises itself and promotes itself on the back of uh, being the the Olympic capital. So Mm. uh, to watch the dynamics of that relationship over the next couple of years through uh, what are always, uh, certainly before any changes are made, quite uh, detailed and and comprehensive bidding processes Mm. uh, will be quite interesting. Mm. But I was in Lausanne uh, for City Events, the uh, annual... uh, 
two-day event which uh, takes a look in uh, detail at uh, hosting and bidding for major events. Another interesting conference uh, this year, and it was very interesting, a couple of uh, things that uh, came up. One very obvious, which is a real focus given events in uh, Brazil um, over the summer at the Confederations Cup on uh, public spending and the amount of uh, public money being invested in uh, major sports venues or surrounding infrastructure ahead of uh, major events and obviously that's a focus in any location which has either an Olympic Games or a uh, World Cup and we're seeing it in Sochi of course we're just uh, a few weeks away now really from the uh, Winter Olympic Games so there was a real focus and a real awareness amongst uh, both uh, sports rights holders and uh, destinations, host cities uh, that there's uh, at least an appreciation that this is going to be an issue that is not going away and they they better find some solutions. Not sure they found the solutions just yet, though. Mm. Uh, the other thing is, and, and perhaps one way that they could uh, start to find a solution uh, and a trend we should probably watch out for is the uh, the increasing need uh, for a mandate from the public before even the bidding process begins. And we've mm. seen that uh, fairly recently uh, in a couple of uh, cities that were pondering bids for the uh, Winter Olympics in 2022. Well, Munich, surprisingly... Uh... Munich voted against. Yeah, they lost that. And uh, uh, Oslo uh, voted in favour. So uh, Oslo are in the race, and uh, it will be it will be interesting to see whether that is something that um, uh, governments, feasibility groups who are brought in to uh, to do the real early stage planning on on whether to bid or not mm. uh, start to go down that route as a, a matter of course. Well, certainly in the IOC bidding. Um, public support is, is really a crucial measure and how that metric changes over the, the two-year um, campaigns that these cities uh, embark on. Um, so I think having that measure strong up front um, could indeed become a more important thing. We mentioned it was the European conference season, but over the other side of the Atlantic in the United States, uh, plenty going on. And James, you uh, you travelled over to uh, Boston mm. uh, a week or so ago to the uh, Ivy Sports Symposium, an event that uh, SportsPro has been partners with uh, for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. um, how was Boston, first of all? Boston, wonderful city. Uh, never been before, but uh, a true sports city. Uh, I was lucky enough to uh, go to the TD Garden to catch a Celtics game. Um, absolutely fantastic atmosphere and uh, having only ever experienced the NBA um, over here in London at the O2 Arena, it is completely different out there. Um, amazing experience and um, principally because the fans just go wild, Dave. they're just, you know, all that in-stadium experience, uh, traditionally they just lap it up, don't they? And actually that was one of the themes uh, at the conference. Uh, the Ivy Sports Symposium is a, a one-day event that we, as David says, have been partners with for some time. Um, we run uh, an annual award with them recognising 30 um, uh, sports executives under the age of uh, 30, 10 of them each year, uh, receive an award after a um, uh, nomination process and, and judging period. And we went over to present those awards and to... Um, taking the conference in general. And, and, and it's an interesting conference, isn't it, in that it's not exclusively for the sports industry, for sports industry representatives. It's very much about... Uh, well, it's run by students for students. With Ivy Sports, I mean, it's uh, linked to the Ivy League universities, obviously, and this one was taking place at the Harvard Law School. 
um, which was fantastic. What a venue. Um, and uh, yes, about 500 uh, delegates there. I'm not entirely sure on the split, but I think it's something like 70 30, 75 25 students to professionals. Um, and uh, the, obviously, there are a lot more sports business college courses over in the US, and the idea is to provide a kind of uh, platform for learning and networking uh, for these students and, and certainly it's a different sort of conference uh, than we get uh, certainly over here in uh, Europe um, particularly because there are all these students involved and the speakers kind of treat it a little bit differently than they would um, speaking to a room full of professional colleagues and rivals um, in some cases. But I wanted to talk to you about the in-stadium experience. David. Tell me about I'll it. I'll tell you about the in-stadium experience. So the final session of the day in, in Boston was uh, on in-stadium innovations. There was a, an interesting lineup which included um, Rich Gotham, the president of the Boston Celtics NBA team. Um, it included Dennis Mannion, um, who I think is general manager or team president um, of uh, Palace Sports and Entertainment, which runs uh, the Detroit Pistons, yep. NBA team, amongst other properties. Uh, Dave Howard was there, the new president of Madison Square Garden Sports, the New York Knicks et al. Um, who else was there? Amy Latimer, who was the president of TD Garden, uh, Boston Celtics and Bruins uh, venue, which I visited. Um, and it was a terrific panel, and they, they were talking about the Instagram experience, and they dwelled on, uh, for some time... Um, the trend in stadiums and arenas uh, to upgrade their Wi-Fi and network capacity to allow fans um, to, to be on their phones more, to, to be interacting with each other and with their social networks during games. And there was a sort of debate uh, being thrown up at this thing between worrying about the in-game experience particularly because, you know, specifically because everyone's on their phones all the time, you know, what does it detract from the atmosphere? And also facilitating that so that, you know, it works for sponsors. And interestingly, not one of the panel uh, thought it was a bad thing. They were all pro uh, installing better systems in arenas so that if people want to consume the games how they want to, they're not going to get in the way of that. And uh, yeah, a few interesting ideas came up and I... Uh, I intend to write the definitive piece on that in this, uh, this month's issue of Sports Pro magazine. Well, look out for that. What else is in uh, the upcoming issue of... In fact, what, what else is in the current issue of Sports Pro magazine that's just landed with the current readers? Issue. What have we got? Uh, seems so long ago. We've got uh, John Angelos, uh, who is Executive Vice President, I think, for uh, the Baltimore Orioles uh, Major League Baseball team racing our cover. Um, we also take a look at the uh, 50 companies that we suspect will be shaping sport in uh, 2014. And uh, I've also written an interesting piece, which I hope is interesting, about uh, the use of animation uh, by sports properties. Yes. Uh, a very interesting piece, David. Yes, now I endorse that. Back to conference season, though. This is oh, not, yeah. this is not about the magazine, David. This is about uh, industry events. Right. And we should do one of those. We, I think we're going to. But first of all, you're off to Doha Goals. Is that right? Doha um, Goals. Another. It just never stops. The is uh, that the, the final one of, of AW twenty thirteen conference season? It could. It could well be. Yes, yeah. that's at the start of uh, December. Yeah. Uh, so it's. Uh, I, I suspect 
it will be an interesting trip uh, and, and plenty going on and plenty to talk about, which we will do so perhaps in a uh, future podcast. Um, what about finally uh, another conference uh, springing up on the uh, on the horizon? Well, neatly uh, out of uh, conference season, uh, excitingly, uh, James, uh, Sports Pro is going to be running its own conference. Yes. I don't know if you've heard about this. Tell me more. It's in March next year, 13th of March. It's a Thursday, uh, so get that in your diaries. Thursday the 13th of March, it's at the uh, Emirates Stadium, fine venue uh, here in uh, London. And the uh, theme of the day is uh, the blueprint for sports global future. We're going to have top-level speakers. We have several confirmed already, including the uh, founder of Wasserman Media Group, Casey Wasserman, uh, Sir Keith Mills, who, of course, was one of the architects of London 2012. He's now getting involved in uh, professional ocean uh, sailing in uh, a much greater way. Also a, a non-executive director of uh, Tottenham Hotspur, so his uh, insight will be invaluable. We have David Grevenberg, the uh, chief executive of uh, Glasgow 2014, who will be with us as well. Mm. Uh, it's going to be a terrific day, and I urge everybody listening to join us there. Mm. And you can do that by registering your interest at www.sportsprolive.com, our dedicated event website. That's, uh, I know you want me to repeat that, so it's uh, www.sportsprolive.com mm. and there's also details on there uh, right now, if you click on there, of uh, early, uh, early bird discounts uh, for the eager uh, sports industry uh, delegate. Um, yeah. We'd love to have your company. Um, terrific range of speakers, more speaker information to come. Have you got a couple more names there, James, to throw into the... Uh... Uh, yeah, there's a few, a couple that I'm particularly excited about. Uh, Andrew Wildblood, uh, who is a Senior Vice President at IMG and one of, or well, possibly the real brains behind uh, the IPL, the Indian Premier League uh, Cricket Tournament, and um, something of uh, a pioneer at a pioneering uh, company. Um, he's out uh, in sort of tasked with uh, overseeing IMG's um, new business ventures uh, over in Asia at the moment, so I'm sure he'll be uh, fascinating. Um, a couple of other ones, uh, Francisco Roca Perez, um, he is the former chief executive of La Liga, um, which operates very differently uh, from the Premier League, um, and he, he'll be full of um, intriguing insights, I'd imagine. But I think it's worth saying about the conference as a whole, um, obviously without blowing smoke up our own asses, but um, we're aiming for it to be uh, a little bit different from, from the average conference. You know, the, the conference is in conference season. Uh, hopefully it'll work, um, but uh, I think it, it's, it's going to be unique, so it's worth checking out. Key information again, Thursday the 13th of March 2014, it's the first Sports Pro Live. You can check all the uh, information on speakers, all the other news, you can uh, register your details, you can sign up uh, to come and join us, www.sportsprolive.com. I don't think people say www. anymore. But uh, all the details as well on uh, the regular world, website. World Wide Web, I think it's yes. All the details as well on our regular website, sportspromedia.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at SportsPro and at SportsPro Live. And uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming you to the Emirates Stadium on the, uh, the 13th of March 2014. Uh, I'd like to say one final thing, if I may. Go on. Uh, just like to say happy Thanksgiving weekend to. Uh, 
to all the fans back in uh, the US. Yeah, you really have been to Boston recently, haven't you? Thank you, James. Thank you, David. Goodbye.